You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Today we are on the final installment of our series called Nearness. And before we get to the Word, I just want to remind everyone that on November 30, that's the first day of Advent. Advent starts on November 30. If you remember, two years ago we had our family Christmas keeping. I would encourage everyone, you know, we would want to encourage everyone to prepare your devotionals for November 30 as we start Advent. Whether you are a family who's worshiping together or you are a single professional or students, it's good for you to prepare yourselves as well for November 30 and the succeeding Sundays leading to Christmas. Okay, so I need to get to the word here today because we have 12 verses to cover and this is quite lengthy. Please turn your Bibles as well with us. To Isaiah chapter 62, here's my promise for you. What we will be covering here today is something, as you will realize later, is something that we all direly need. Let me begin with verse 1. We are reading from the ESV. It says here, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, And her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness. And all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name. That the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. A royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken. And your land shall no longer be termed a desolate. But you shall be called My delight is in her, Beulah, and your land married, for the land delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest, and give the Lord no rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by His right hand and by His mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine, for which you have labored, but those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord." And those who gather it shall drink in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord is proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out a city not forsaken. We will be looking into prayer, and you might be wondering where is prayer in the text that we have looked into, and I'm going to get to that later. But I'd like first to understand this. You try to ask this question for a while. You start writing this down. I do know that many of you folks have gone through so many difficult times the past two years. Some of you lost your jobs, lost a loved one, lost your business. It's just difficult, isn't it? Right? So for all of us, it's actually for all of us. But you, you start asking this question, what has sustained us the past two years? 
Ano nga ba? Is it because of her grit? Okay, is it because of her own strength? Or if I would rephrase that question, it could go something like this. What has kept you the past two years? Let's say, what has kept your sanity the past two years? What has kept you intact? If you'd allow me to further rephrase that, the question might be like this. What has preserved you the past two years? Those are questions that actually warrant us to sit down and start really contemplating about that. And we could say so many things. You could say it was my buffer, my savings. You could say it's because of my dad. But at the end of the day, I want you to understand this. What has sustained all of us? Victory Dumaguete, what has sustained all of us the past two years is the ministry of prayer, right? Sure, we understand, of course, it is the grace of God. There's no question about that. But I'd like for you to understand it is because of the ministry of prayer. It is because you perhaps didn't know that there's a group of people praying for you, that there is an individual praying for you, right? So it is actually the ministry of prayer. And I want us to understand this and perhaps, you know, establish this. As long as there is an emphasis, as long as there's an emphasis on the ministry of prayer in our local church, we will see God imparting His grace upon every single one of us. Amen? Perhaps this was four, five years ago. One of our leaders here, Ferdi Bellarmino, lent me a book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. And it's quite interesting because in the book, the author, Reverend Leonard Ravenhill, was simply emphasizing. If you read the book, here's what you will get. Here's the summary, by the way. He is emphasizing the connection between spiritual revival and prayer. That's what the book is all about. He says, if you folks, or if you as a believer, as an individual, if you want to have spiritual revival, it's actually connected to prayer. If as a local church as Victory Dumaguete, or even as Victory Tagbilaran, we want to have spiritual revival, even in our city, it's actually connected to prayer. Now here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. The interesting about prayer is this. Prayer is actually the precursor to spiritual revival. Ito yung interesting thing about prayer. If you look at it, prayer is actually the precursor to spiritual revival. And prayer is also the evidence of a spiritual revival. Catch it? So it's both ways. So meaning to say, the point there is this. If there is prayer, if prayer is going on, meaning to say, we can expect that there is revival that's happening or will happen. In essence, that's what we're talking about. When we find ourselves loving to pray, when we find ourselves being compelled to pray out our hearts to God, we would say that there is a spiritual revival perhaps happening in our own life and collectively as a local church. Now, let me just qualify that for a while. I'm not talking about the quantity of perhaps time, though I'm not just talking about that because that is certainly one. But I'm also talking about the intimacy of our prayer. And this is where we find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 62. And all of you folks, do not miss a minute of this. I have 13 pages for all of us here today. Remember when Tom was preaching several Sundays ago, we said, if you look at Isaiah chapter 3, the story is always about what? The rise of the Assyrian Empire. The rise of the Babylonian Empire. People were scared. The northern kingdom was captured by the Assyrian Empire. They were not captured by the Babylonian Empire, but they were so happy. But looking forward 200 years, 
we understand that based on the prophecy of Isaiah, that you know the Babylonian Empire will rise and they will, they will be captured. In fact, not just that, they will be brought into exile. And the consolation that we have found was after 70 years, they went back to exile. Now, I want you to understand this. Isaiah chapter 62 is not restricted in those years, all right? Isaiah chapter 62 is not restricted in the story of the Babylonians, the story of the Israelites, the story of the Assyrians. It goes way further than that. Isaiah chapter 62 here, Isaiah looks all the way forward to the age of the new covenant, our time right now, when the fullness of the blessing promised to Zion, to the people of God, would be poured out upon the church. So it looks all the way forward to our time here today. So here's what I'm going to do here. I'd like first to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 62. Now here's what you will realize. We have 12 verses here today. In fact, we won't be able to cover everything. But I'd like for us to know that these verses are actually divided into two parallel sections. The first section is verses 1 to 5, and the second one is verses 6 to 12. And what's interesting with verses 1 to 5 and 6 to 12 is that these two sections actually mirrors each other. Now, I did say, you folks have to follow me, verses 1 to 5, verses 6 to 12. So... If these are divided into two sections, okay, the first section begins with verse, verse 1. The second section begins with verse 6. So, I'm going to pull out verses 1 and 6 and put them together, all right? Look at verse 1 and verse 6. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. Are you folks following? Look at this. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. That's verse 1. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, it says here, on, on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all day and all night. And look at this one. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. What do we have here? You would see that there is a semblance between verse 1 and verse 6. Two sections, you know, somehow mirroring each other. And verses 2 to 5, the rest of the verses, 2 to 5 of the first section, and verses 7 to 12 of the second section are actually what? A parallel, these are parallel descriptions of verses 1 and verse 2. Let me just proceed. I want us to make an observation. Let me just go to verse 1. Look at this one. Look at this. It says here, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Verse 6 says, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night, and they shall never be silent. You put the Lord in remembrance. Take no rest. So, you actually have two characters here. But we will go there later. So, what are we talking about here? Ilalatag ko na. Obviously, this is talking about prayer and intercession. How do we say that? What are the evidences for that? Go back to verse 1. Ito po. Not be silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. So, here's my question. What is one activity that we do wherein we do not stop? Right? Pwede natin sabihin, is this just mere talking? Do you have friends who talk like that? They just can't be silent. We have friends who are like that, right? So 
here in our office, oh, we have a lot of those. Even our guard in the office. Right? <laughs> we have a lot of those here. People who just cannot be silent. They just cannot be quiet. Well, it's not a bad thing. But is this talking about just mere fellowship? Is this talking about merely just talking that you will not be silent, stuff like that? No. I did say a while ago that this is talking about prayer. What are the evidence for that? Look at verse 6. In verse 6, it says here, You who put these people who do not stop talking, who cannot be silent, it says here, they put the Lord in remembrance. All right? So in their talking, in their communication, their goal is to put the Lord in remembrance. Now, you might actually say, this might not be prayer intercession. It's fine. But in the same way, this is still pleading. This is pleading before God. So what do you call that then? It's prayer in intercession, right? So this is pleading before God, putting God in remembrance. In fact, you'd be surprised. In verse 7, it actually puts there, you do not give God rest. We're going to go there later, okay? So perhaps this is the next question. I think I have been fairly successful in convincing you that this is about pleading and prayer and intercession. Now, my next question is this. Who's the one speaking? Who's the one speaking? Because I think it's fairly important for us for, to understand who is the speaker here. Who's the one speaking? Now, look at this. It's important for us to understand before we proceed who is speaking. It says in verse 1, I will not keep silent. I will not be quiet. So question is, who is I? Who is the I here? Ah, teka lang. Di ba si Isaiah to? So pwede natin sabihin, okay, si Isaiah. Pero, yung verse 6, hindi applicable kay Isaiah. That's the interesting thing here. Okay, you can say, alright, this could be Isaiah. Anyway, he's a prophet, right? So he will not be silent. He will not be quiet. Now, in verse 6, we understand one thing. That the speaker in verse 1 is the same speaker in verse 6. Here's what verse 6 says. On your walls of Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You put the Lord in remembrance. Take no rest. Now, the idea here that he has placed watchmen gives us a picture that he is someone who puts up or raises up intercessors. And we are certain that it is not Isaiah. That is not his ministry. That is, to a certain extent, beyond him. Because the speaker here is someone who appoints watchmen. So how do we find out who the speaker then is? You know what? All of the things that we need to understand here are actually just in these verses. We are in Isaiah chapter 62, isn't it? What is right before Isaiah chapter 62? Isaiah chapter 61. So here, who is the one speaking here? Now, in Isaiah chapter 62 verse 1, I want you to understand this. This is where it becomes very interesting. You'd come to understand that in Isaiah chapter 61, the speaker in Isaiah chapter 61 is the same speaker in Isaiah chapter 62. Ulitin ko. Yung speaker sa Isaiah chapter 61 is the same speaker in Isaiah chapter 62. So, let's go to the first verse. First verse lang of Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. 
Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening up of the prison to those who are bound. Certainly we know that this isn't Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So now, this is talking about the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. Now, Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1, the one who said this is the same person who said, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. What did I say a while ago? We're not restricted and contained in the book of Isaiah, but we're looking far beyond that. We're looking far beyond that. And this is what I'd like for us to look into. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 21. And now, you know where we are going. The speaker here is Jesus himself. Alright? The speaker here is Jesus himself. Where do we find it? Look at this. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 21. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. What was he reading? Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1. And here's what it says here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the goodness to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now here's the clincher. Here's the clincher. Go to the next verse. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And everyone was gazing at him, fixed their eyes on him. And verse 21, look at this one. He says, and he began to say to them, today, he says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You know what Jesus was essentially saying? He was simply saying that now that you have heard all of these things, I want you to understand, all of you, my listeners, today... These scriptures actually point to me. This is now being fulfilled. All of you are gazing at me right now. It's talking about me. This points to me. This is talking about me. So it's safe for us to say then that, okay, now we understand. Now we understand that Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1, Isaiah chapter 62 verse 1 has the same speaker. And Luke chapter 4 provides us the answer. Luke chapter 4 verse 21 tells us that Jesus is the one speaking. That Jesus is the one talking here. In Isaiah chapter 61, Jesus is the great preacher of the good news. While in Isaiah chapter 62, we understand friends. And this gives us so much comfort because Christ as we understand is what the great intercessor in behalf of his beloved people. In behalf of his people. You know what? I can actually end there and tell you if you're here today and you're burdened. If you're here today and you are frustrated. If you're here today and you are disappointed. If you're here today and you feel so sinful. If you're here today and you feel so condemned. If you're here today and you are so needy. Of so many things, you're needy of attention, you're needy of money, you're needy of so many things. I want you to understand this. Jesus intercedes for you. Jesus intercedes for you. I just love the thought that Jesus intercedes for us. Let me prove to you. Look at Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. It says here, consequently, 
Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to what? To make intercession for them. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Akala nyo, yung work ni Christ ended in the resurrection and the ascension. Meron pa po, meron pang intercession. Every single day. So the picture here is, Jesus pleads on our behalf before the presence of God. Don't you just love that? So what's the point? What's the characteristics of this intercession? First, I think I have to make this very clear. This is talking about Jesus' ministry of heavenly intercession. Heavenly intercession. So let me just look into that for a while. So in heaven, Jesus intercedes for you. All right? That's what it looks like. So first, let's all try to see the characteristics of his intercession. Look, he says here, I will not keep silent. I will not be quiet. So his intercession is marked this way. He has a ceaseless commitment to his people. Dear friends, you folks get a lot of text messages asking for prayers. While finishing this up last night, I actually received a text message asking for prayer for his grandmother. We have so many people asking prayers from us. And sometimes you understand that, you know, I know of people like Nana Edith who would pray at 3 in the morning up until like 6 in the morning. You know, we have people who are like that, but there are some of us who would doze off on the 10-minute mark or 5-minute mark. But for Christ, it says here, His intercession for us is ceaseless. Doesn't end. Right? So there's something that we have to understand here, meaning to say, verse 1 tells us, if this is Jesus, meaning to say, His intercession for you is constant. His intercession for you is consistent. There is a sacred, I have to say, a sacred restlessness, a sacred burden on Christ to intercede on our behalf. I mean, for our sake. There's a sacred burden on Him that weighs on Him to intercede for us. And I just love that. I love that. You know why? Because every time I think about that, I think about this. He will not be silent. He will not cease. He keeps going and going and going, interceding for me. Christ ever lives to make intercession for us until the desires of his heart for our sakes are met in full at last. Sino sa dito masasabi yung hindi kayo perfect? All of us. Right? That's why meron tayong tinatawag na sanctification. Hanggat hindi ka fully sanctified, you'll understand Christ will intercede for you. What is Jesus praying for? Now, it is actually found in the second part of verse 1. It says here, he will not stop, he will not be quiet until her righteousness, her here is us. Tayo yung her dito, the bride of Christ, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. There's a clue that we find there, it gives us a picture that God here is showing us that the burden of Christ is actually a what? There's actually a twin concern that Christ thinks about us in terms of his intercession for us. And it's actually found here. It's actually what? Righteousness and salvation. These are the two words that he pleads on our behalf before the throne of glory. Like guess what? Day and night. 
You always please before God for what? For our righteousness and salvation. But I'd like for us to understand that Christ is praying for the full realization in us of everything that He has done for us. What does it mean? Christ is praying and interceding for our holiness. Christ is pleading and praying and interceding for our purity. Christ is praying and pleading for what? For transformed lives. I want to see a show of hands. Well, we can honestly say that Christian ka na, matagal ng Christian, pero meron pa rin mga bad attitude. Di ba? Lahat tayo meron. And I'd like first to understand, the Bible teaches us here that He will not stop. He will not be silent until we see our lives transformed. He's praying for a love for God, for the things of God, a love for the people of God, and a love to praise God. I look at this today and I was reading this and you know, one of the things that I thought of is, wow, parang, I don't think I am that prayerful. That's one of my realizations. I don't think I'm so, I'm that prayerful. And if you read this, you'll, you'll be discouraged. If you look at your own heart and consider your progress, let's say the past two years lang, your progress or your apparent lack of progress in your Christian walk. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but sometimes you wish that you have been a bit further in your spiritual maturity. Diba? Sometimes we frustrate tayo sa sarili natin. And we get so frustrated. And here's one comfort that we can find. This should not discourage us, but rather this should comfort us. You know why? Because the comfort that we find here is this. Jesus as our intercessor, as our great high priest, will never quit pleading with God for you until your righteousness goes forth as brightness and your salvation as a burning torch. He is our intercessor, capital I. You have friends who intercede for you from the church? Perfect. But Jesus is our intercessor with capital I. He is our great high priest. He will not quit pleading with God for you until your righteousness goes forth as brightness and your salvation as a burning torch as we find in verse 2. Our commitment if I may assume, is always fecal and inconsistent. His commitment to us is relentless. His commitment to us is unfailing. That's the Jesus that we worship. In fact, Jesus won't stop until we shine with brilliant radiance that we find there like a burning torch. What does it look like to be a burning torch? We find that in the succeeding verses. Verse 2 the nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. I'm not going to read all these verses, but rather I'll jump straight to the evidences of this. When God makes our righteousness like brightness in our salvation, di ba dalawa yun? Righteousness and salvation. Yung righteousness mo will shine so bright and yung salvation mo will look like a burning torch. That's what Jesus is pleading for you. So what does it look like? First, it means witness to the world. Why? Anong evidence nun? Witness to the world. Verse 2, Nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. Do you realize that you cannot hide holiness and you cannot fake holiness? At the end of the day, holiness in our lives will scream by itself. When you are around people, people will discern, people will feel how you have been set apart. 
by the Lord. That's why we don't have to show off because it will simply come out naturally. So verse 2 here teaches us, nations shall see your righteousness. People will notice that there is something different with sweet. People will start saying that. You don't have to force it. You know, sometimes, a lot of times, when we keep parading things to the people, sometimes it means that it's not true in our life. Because eventually, eventually, when you want people to have a perspective of you that is manufactured, it's going to be fecal. But who you really are will simply come out. People will understand what kind of a person you are. People will know if you, have, you are a man of integrity. People will know if you are a man of character. Nations will see your righteousness and the kings your glory. Now, when we start talking about spiritual revival, the people of God will pursue holiness with new resolve and their witness is made mighty as a result. When people do notice, it bears a mighty witness to the world around them. So if you're here, you're watching this, you're not your parents, perhaps. Your parents will see that in you. They will see the difference in you. Your neighbors would see the difference in you. The second one is beauty. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of our God. When there is spiritual revival in our life, it simply is attractive. It simply is going to be beautiful. Like what I said a while ago, real holiness. Remember Daniel? He was brought into exile in Babylon. What was his challenge to the person guarding him? I don't want to eat of the meat. Give me veggies. After how many days came out, they look way better than those who have eaten meat. It's not just the meat and the vegetable. It's being set apart. That's why holiness is attractive. I'm not just talking, when I say holiness, by the way, when I say holiness, I'm not just talking about sexual purity. Sometimes we have limited ourselves thinking that holiness is all about sexual purity. It's actually one of the many. Holiness simply is you being set apart for the purposes of God. That's what happened to Daniel. They were simply, well, they were attractive then. They were far more attractive now. Like what I keep saying, I'm not kidding when I say, if you look at yourself right now with the glory of the Lord, you'd understand you look far better than you were before. What's the next one? The next one is witness the world beauty. The next one is transformation. I love this. In verse 2, you shall be called with a new name. Now look, in verse 4, can you go to verse 4? Formerly your names were forsaken, desolate, and perhaps powerless. Now, these were our former names accordingly. And instead, you know, Jesus says, you shall now be called what? You shall now be called, my delight is in her, is in you. In Hebrew, that's Hefziba. And there's another one. And your land shall be called Merid, which means Beulah. You'd come to understand this, you know, over and over again. Uh, by the way, this is not talking about when you get married to someone, you're going to have a different family name. That's not entirely what we're talking about before they really don't have their family names. But here's what I'm talking about. Isn't it that Abraham's name, when he was transformed by God, was changed to Abraham? Jacob's name, when he was transformed by God, was changed into Israel. The point being is, when the father answers the son's prayer for renewal for his people, he will transform us. God will transform us. 
Here is the last one. The next one is a deep and renewed commitment to the church. Witness to the world, beauty, transformation. The next one is a renewed commitment to the, to the church. To the church. All of you, look at this. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall God rejoices over you. That is to say that when there's spiritual revival, the people of God are bound to Zion in love like the bands of covenant marriage. It's like the band of covenant marriage. So meaning to say God's commitment to us will be mirrored that way. It's not dutiful. It is full of joy. So here's what I want us to understand. When spiritual revival comes, look at verse 5. In answer to the heavenly intercession of Christ, so will we, meaning to say, we will love the church. That's one picture of fruit of the intercession of Christ. What does it mean that we love the church? I'm not saying that we will parade victory dumagete. My point simply is we will so love public worship. The point being here is that if you're really renewed, you're really transformed, you don't have to wait for your husband, you don't have to wait for your wife, you don't have to wait for your kids to drag you to even to attending worship online. A renewed commitment and zeal for the church, public worship, you know, public gathering, corporate worship will not just be one of your many things to do during the week. No, it comes as a priority. And I want you to understand this as a pastor, as a preacher, I will not apologize in telling people to gather for worship. And I will not think twice in correcting people when I realize that they haven't been attending worship even in our situation right now. Because as God's people, we have to have passion and zeal for the church. This isn't for my sake. This is for your sake. For the glory of God as we understand. I understand that, you know, we have our restrictions. But, you know, imagine this. Can you imagine if this pandemic happened, let's say, in 1993? If today is 1993, this pandemic happened, and we don't have access to the internet, everything's dial up. You know, you remember that time? Let's say it's 1993, and yes, IATF is existing that time. IATF tells us, uh, you cannot gather for worship. So what do we do? There's no such thing as being able to attend worship online. I want us to understand that God has given us the privilege that even if we are not able to attend worship on site, to gather together here. God has given us a privilege to be able to worship Him together with the church community, albeit remotely, but we're still worshiping Him together. There is no excuse for that. You cannot give God an excuse. My wife would be worshiping with us online and every time I say, let's open to God's Word, we're going to be on Isaiah chapter 53. Whatever she's doing, she's going to stand on her feet and show reverence to God's Word. Some of us here who's worshiping what is online, your feet is even on the table. Just put it down now. Spiritual revival tells us there's a new, renewed commitment, a renewed passion for the church that is one evidence that you have been revived by the Lord. And don't you worry, folks. When we get to have, you know, their on-site services once again, 
whether you're vaccinated or not, you'd be coming here worshiping God with all of us. Let me quickly look into the next few verses. I'll be very quick because you realize we're simply on the first section. The second section begins in verse 6. Jesus is our intercessor in heaven. And look at verse 6. This is quite interesting. Look at this. It says here, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You put the Lord in remembrance. Take no rest. Verse 7, And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. First section talks about the intercessor who is Christ. Look at this. Second section talks about watchmen. That Jesus himself, as the great intercessor, has appointed watchmen, small letter I, intercessors. Watchmen here, as many of you understand, is a picture of a guard who is doing his duty on the walls of an ancient city. And this watchman will be there day and night. What are they doing? Looking out for threats. Watching out for threats. That is what a watchman does. Meaning to say there's constant vigilance. Here's what they do. What they do is they pray. They intercede for Zion, which is God's people. For the people of God. They put the Lord in remembrance. They will never be silent. They put the Lord in remembrance. Look at this. They take no rest. Right? They take no rest. Matthew chapter 26. Remember this. And when he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me for an hour? Here's what he says. Watchmen, gives us a picture, it's verse 1. Watch and pray. Watchfulness and prayer mark intercession. There is a kind of spiritual vigilance that faithfulness in prayer requires. When we become intercessors, when we intercede, when we pray, it watches for every assault that is, that's coming over the church, over the people of God. We try to be keen, we try to discern. Not just that, it watches for every sign of God's blessing. And when there's a sign of God's blessing, they pray for even more blessings. An intercessor would see the church of Victor Dumaguete being built up. And the moment he sees that, he won't just say, oh, praise God. No, he will start praying and praying for more blessings to come. An intercessor who sees a friend who's been converted to the faith, who has become a Christian, whose life was transformed, will pray for more people who will have that kind of testimony. Intercessor, a watchman, will watch against sin. And watch blessings. And it will always point towards the glory of God. You'd realize this. I said these are parallel sections. A while ago, merong ceaseless commitment si Lord. Look at this in verse 6. They will never be silent. They take no rest. What is the extent of that prayer? Look. Until He establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Look at verse 7, the first part of verse 7, it says here, we are, it says here, they give him no rest. You know what it means? Let me just try to close this down. As God's people, as watchmen, you have to become a God-botherer. And just to qualify that, of course you understand, God isn't really bothered by us. 
But the point there is found in Luke chapter 18. Look at this. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city, look at this, who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will then give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? Another verse could be Luke chapter 11, verse 5 to 13. I'm not going to read it anymore. But that is basically the point. Watchfulness and prayerfulness. I told you a while ago that people have been praying for you. What has kept you? It's the ministry of prayer. What has preserved you? It is the ministry of prayer. And I want to take this opportunity to thank the group of people who's been praying for this church week in and week out. You know, our prayer ministry, you know, these people have been praying for you. You have to realize how difficult is it for some of them to even have access to Zoom. But I want you to understand, Victory Dumaguete, that there's a group of people who's been praying for you week in and week out, relentlessly. What has preserved us, kept us the grace of God through the ministry of prayer. Through the ministry of prayer. But you know, this is not a calling for just a few people. But rather, I want us to understand that this is a calling for all of us. A calling that God has given many of us. He sets His people to be a praying church. Amen? And let me end this by saying this. If we cease to pray, then we cease being a church. When we stop praying, we have stopped being the church. So the question for us is this, are we going to stay silent? Where are the watchmen in our midst here in Victory Dumaguete? I want to thank Brian, of course, for leading our prayer ministry the past year. Even with his work, with his job, oh, he's been praying for all of us. Our team has been praying for you. And of course, this is not everything. I know we, we pray for each other. But I want you to understand, we want to see more people rising up and taking on that mantle of calling that God has given us to be watchmen for this church, to be the watchmen for this city, to be the watchmen even for our very own nation. I pray that there will be a movement of prayer that will come upon us. I pray that the Lord will stir us up to pray fervently, pray passionately as a local church. How does this apply to us individually and as a family? I think the answer is very simple. I pray that we will all be prayerful, that we will take these things seriously. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.